0: Hey guys, it's Emily.
1: And Stasi, thanks so much for being here. We're so excited to share with you this next interview with Laura Danger.
0: Uh, Laura Danger is that darn chat on TikTok and Instagram. Um, she has really made a name for herself talking about the domestic sphere and equity and partnerships. Um, specifically, she popularized the term weaponized incompetence and also speaks to emotional labor the mental load second shift um and is a fair play uh facilitator uh who helps create equitable partnerships which is incredibly important work
1: she has over one hundred and twenty thousand followers on instagram and she's on tiktok as well go find her she's awesome yeah
0: and thanks for listening All right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, We're really excited today. We have a really special guest on the
2: podcast, Laura Danger. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Thank you. We are
0: so excited to have you. I'm just going to read your bio to give our listeners um, a sense of who you are and why we asked you to join us today. Um, So Laura is a certified life coach licensed educator, content creator, and certified fair play facilitator who has been facilitating, coaching, and community organizing in Chicago for over 12 years. She has advanced endorsements in the areas of English as a second language and learning disabilities, and Laura facilitates workshops, retreats, coaches individuals, and couples, and creates educational content in an effort to create a more equitable world. She is passionate about domestic equity the value of domestic labor and how empowerment out in the world starts with empowerment at home. That's me. (laughs) Um, And for anyone who's a big TikTok fan, you've probably already seen her talking about weaponized incompetence and domestic equity um, at That Darn Chat,
2: right? Correct. Yes, That Darn Chat. Yeah, most people know me from like popularizing the term weaponized incompetence and addressing trending videos and common jokes and social tropes and sort of deconstructing them and talking about why we shouldn't be laughing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and they always speak to me. Every time I see them, I'm like, it like stings my heart. And then I go, oh my God, I have 8,000 other intellectual thoughts about this now. When you first see them like, (laughs) You're just mindlessly scrolling and go, ha, ah, that's funny. And you know, and then you keep going. And then when I see Laura on there, I'm like, oh shit, I'm about to learn something. I'm about to get real angry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's
1: you. Um, okay. So we just want to start with like, how did you how did it become your area of interest? And what is your story? How did we fall fo- you start on this path and this social media content?
2: Um, so I am one of many millennials who downloaded TikTok early in the pandemic, um, and I started making content. I've I've been a full-time educator. Um, I've had a career shift in the last year, but I've been a classroom teacher, an adult educator for 10 years or so. Um, and so I was at home with my two kids. Uh, they were nine months and three when we went into lockdown um and i would like put them to bed you know my nine-month-old is still waking up in the middle of the night and i just like would go in my basement and like learn TikTok dances or make jokes or um i i started speaking critically about like social issues and gender and race and um like social structures like education Um, and people started reacting really well. Like they didn't like my dances, you know, I was not very good at dancing. Um, but my, I tend to, uh, even prior to this, like be very out there on social media. I've had a Tumblr, a live journal, a deviant art, um, like all of the things. And I was talking a lot into my Instagram stories on my private account I just started getting this feedback that people wanted to have these discussions publicly. And um, specifically one day, I, well, it wasn't just one day, but over the series of a couple of weeks, I started talking about how hard it was to see friends of mine, like struggling with having incompetent partners. Mm -hmm. And I, like I I had this one specific friend Old acquaintance, not somebody I feel like I could reach out to over on Instagram, uh, posted a photo of her holding her three month or her husband holding her three month old, grimacing at her with a phone in one hand, holding the baby. And she posted and she's like, best hubby ever gave me 30 minutes at the gym. And this is a woman with three kids. This is her third baby, middle of a pandemic and had been, I'm using air quotes here, given 30 minutes reluctantly you could tell it was reluctantly and he was being congratulated he was being held up as a good man like a really loving man and I you know closed my Instagram tab go over to TikTok and I was just like I cannot handle this anymore I'm so tired of seeing this and it was like my first viral video like a hundred thousand likes and everyone's like, yes, it's so frustrating um and I just started talking about it and using like trying to make poke fun at like make jokes of the jokes where I started talking about like, hey babe, um do you want me to do the dishes for you do you want me to babysit the kids for you because it sounds so ridiculous coming from a woman's voice mm-hmm. and yet so normal coming out of a man's voice um and I just, kept speaking to it. And one day, you know, I, somebody, somebody mentioned um, competence and how competence can become a weapon in a partnership. And so I started talking about that and I started making deconstructing the jokes Mm -hmm. and it just mixed with my background and interest in uh, race and gender and social dynamics. It's all sort of come together where regularly I get to, I get to connect the dots. That's where I came from.
0: Yeah. I have to tell you, I, um, like learned about who you were when I was complaining about something in my own partnership and a good friend of mine sent me one of your videos about weaponized incompetence. And I was like, this is it, this is the thing. And I sent it to my partner and it's been an ongoing conversation and our relationship and and helpful to like make some of this visible to someone who like wants to do better, but like, doesn't always know how to do better. Um, so yeah, your, your content is speaking
2: to a lot of people, um, even the the good guys too, you know, I want to say, I, I definitely want to say something to that. Um, because weaponized incompetence is, you know, th- there is blatant weaponized incompetence that is like abusive, violent, when you're neglecting a child in the absence of someone else, when you're, um, you know, it, financial av- abuse, it's often tied to financial abuse, things like that. There's that. And then there's men specifically being conditioned to not feel like household labor is their responsibility or something that they should be interested in because it's very normal Um, there's, you know, it's laughed at on sitcoms. It's just seen as lighthearted. It's, um, like, Oh, it's just the laundry. I'm just going to mess up the laundry. It's fine. It's not meant to be hurtful at all. And the way it's sold to us socially is that it's a silly, like men are just like this. Women are just like this, you know? And so it's almost a transgression to not be that way to be like, actively seeking participation at home, that's the weird thing. (laughs) So I do hope that my content comes off as not necessarily like not shaming men, not shaming women or other folks who get into these dynamics unintentionally. We all want to be in equal partnerships. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't happen. So that my, I'm never trying to shame. I'm really just trying to shine a light on like, wow, here are the millions of ways that we've been convinced that this is normal or good. And it's not.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is it's so we're all socially conditioned, right? So I, there in my own marriage, I don't know, five years ago, all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, I realized I was sweeping and he was building furniture. And I got so mad that like how quickly we assigned ourselves roles without even noticing, right? So we're, we we both did it. We both did it unconsciously. And he's like, wait, I don't want to sweep. I want to build the stuff. Right. And I like quickly moved past it and like named it. And he was fine and moved and also a little shocked about my rage <laughs> about it. <laughs> We were having a peaceful morning, but it, we're so, we're all socialized this way. So women get caught up on accident all of a sudden they're in the middle of it, resentful and tired because they didn't, uh, they woke or they're waking up in the middle of feelings instead of noticing. It's like a a frog being in water right we're not dropping people in hot water they'll jump out going i'm not signing up for that they're sitting in water and it gets warmer and warmer and warmer until you're so hot you're gonna die and that's what we're talking that's what you're naming and that's when people are finding your page when they're so hot they're they are rageful they can't do anything about it anymore um and men are participants in it too not always, I don't think maliciously, male privilege is real. We all know that. And it's blind, right? So they're not seeing the things uh, that they need to be seen. And so unfortunately, not only are women doing jobs uh, in the household or the mental load and all the other pieces, they also have to be very loud megaphones for all the things they're doing so their partners can see. Um, And that really does get put on the weight of the person doing the work because privilege is blind a lot of the time until you're not
0: can and with this conversation like I think it would be helpful for grounding for like listeners who might kind of get a sense of what this conversation is about but maybe need some specific terms like can you define for us some of the terms like mental load emotional labor second shift and weaponized incompetence
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like those terms, when you hear them, it's much like when you hear the term weaponized incompetence, you're like, oh my God, that's it. Mm Yes, yes. You don't even, oftentimes it's like you have this gut reaction. Um, So the second shift is when you are working a full-time job. Um, And I like to say it's also when you're a stay-at-home parent, it's like doing your full-time job during the day and then checking out and coming home and doing the rest of your job. And it's like when you talk to uh, childless friends and they're like, oh, are you ready for the weekend? For the weekend off? <laughs> and you're like, no, I'm not. I don't have a minute off ever. Um, but so the second shift is clocking in at home and having to do the labor of homemaking. um, The mental load, the term that I use that I adopted from my mother is domestic engineer, and it's um, how you get all of the gears of your home to work together. It's also remembering a million tiny things. Um, so for example, I was, I was looking at um, our recycling on the back porch this weekend, and I also knew I need to clean out the Thanksgiving meal. And so I was looking at the trash, paying attention to what time of day it was, knew the trash was going out Monday, knew I could keep the the food in the fridge until right before the trash was going to go out. Otherwise, it would stink. Um, Knowing that if I put it on the back porch, the recycling also had to be out first because there wouldn't be room. All of these tiny things, knowing when I was going to get groceries because I had to take that food out. Is all of these details that you have to pay attention to in the inner working of your home or at a job. Um, but it's it's the engineering of a life. It's it's um yeah, paying attention to all that. Um now emotional labor is different. Mm-hmm. Emotional labor, the example that I like to give is um. And then I want to get to like what fair play is. and when to, cause all these things go to it, but the emotional labor is, um, I'm sure anyone listening here knows this exact pattern, being frustrated about something that's happening at home, wanting to bring it up, knowing that it causes a fight, waiting to tiptoe around it, paying attention to what time to bring it up. And then eventually like planning how you are going to bring something up knowing it's going to cost you emotionally expecting what's falling out it's all of this weight of um oftentimes people work with me and they say well i've i've asked a million times do more i don't want to make you a list i need you to do things around the house just notice things and it keeps not happening and that is also it feels like rejection it feels like being let down or disappointed and that is also emotional load where do I want to feel sad today do I want to feel sad and resentful sweeping or do I want to feel sad and resentful um feeling like I'm nagging or being told that I'm being a nag how would I like to suffer today <laughs> mm-hmm. so there's all of this <laughs> yeah yeah
1: and then it for and Laura, I don't know if this, my understanding of emotional labor also is the act of caretaking, right? Whether you're a mother or you're a single woman and have a committed partner, that emotional labor of holding space for everyone else's emotions um, is an additional piece that is different than mental load, which is the engineering piece. It's the emotional space that you're living in yeah. um, there
2: yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Laura,
1: t- tell about fair play i want i can't wait for people to hear about it um my question once we get into it my question is when is it an appropriate time to find a facilitator it would be my additional question to just fair play method in general
2: um so fair play is a book and a game it's like a set of cards um and it's it's a system developed by the author eve rodsky um she spent several years putting this through development uh tons of research i love research um and it's it's essentially a framework it's a set of tools it's shared language it's a plan um and it's a way to communicate about domestic labor that is no longer giving me a list um it's no longer one person delegating and deciding how things should be done. It's a way to jointly come together and address all of the pieces of a household. Um, And the, the two biggest, like there are lots of really important pieces of it, but I'll say that that one of the most mind blowing pieces um, is the idea of a CPE, which is the, that every single task that you do has these three parts. And it's the conception, the planning, and then the execution. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, when someone uh, says, just make me a list, I'm, or, you know, my husband and I, um, he was a really good helper. He would come home after working long hours and he'd be like, let me jump in. How can I help? Or we'd sit down on the weekends and I'd be crying, being like, I'm so overwhelmed. I have, I can't, Like I'm working and I'm doing this. And he'd be like, I want to help you. How do I help? And I'd be like, I have no idea. I literally have no idea. Just Mm -hmm. the idea of coming up with a list is so overwhelming. I can't. Mm -hmm. So fair play is about, um, it's a household is broken down into 100 cards and each one has, um, you set the CPE. So for example, um, uh, holidays are coming up. So a holiday meal, the conception of that is noticing that a holiday is coming up and knowing you're going to have to make a meal. Mm-hmm. The planning of that is who's invited. What are our food restrictions? When am I going to shop? Will the fridge be full? Um, do I go to Aldi or Trader Joe's? Do I have to order a head? How soon do I have to order the honey baked ham? Mm-hmm. All of that. It's also Uh, Bringing in the other stakeholders of the home to talk to them about it at that point, Mm -hmm. running it past them with enough time to pull it off. Mm -hmm. And then the execution is cooking. Mm -hmm. That's it. So, like, of the three parts, a lot of times couples were having this conversation and being like, Well, I did the holiday meal. I cooked the holiday meal. Mm -hmm. And the other person's going, Okay, yeah, you did but did you, and then like thunders are like rapid fire a million things that they did to get there. And that's where the arguments happen where a lot of times in cishet couples specifically, men will be like, but I'm doing so much and you aren't noticing all of the things I'm doing. I took the trash out for you. I went and got the groceries. I even made the list for the groceries. I swept up, I'm cleaning with you on Sundays. And in the meantime, she's like, Okay, yeah, but do you know how often we need to do the baseboards, mop the floors? Have you paid attention to what the kid's eating for lunch, what we need to buy and when? When it's expired, there's, so the fair play method is about when you divide, no longer having one to make the list, but truly own, you hold the whole card. That's the point, own the whole card. Mm -hmm. And then if like my husband does laundry, I do not worry about the laundry. I don't think about the laundry. He does it on his own time schedule. We have agreed to a minimum standard of how we want it done and when. Mm -hmm. And then magically, like this morning, I went and got some fresh clothes and he has Marie Kondo styled Mm -hmm. my drawer. (laughs) It's like because he he doesn't care how it's folded in his drawer or the kids drawers but I'm really particular and he does it. It's well, so it's great. Like, it's like you get to like
0: be a man, like, or the treatment yep. all these men are getting from their partners, right? Traditionally, or like, I think the norm, I think that's the norm. That is
2: uh-huh. uh revolutionary within a home. It is. And it's so, it's so wonderful because that's that's where the burnout comes from that's where the overwhelm and the miscommunication comes from is um like i you know a lot of they say like men don't see it i don't see the mess i don't see what needs to be done mm-hmm. well when you talk about it and make the invisible labor visible and then when you own it when you see it as your responsibility You start, it's on your mental load. You're thinking about how and when and navigating and engineering it in your brain. I don't see the laundry anymore. It's not my job. I don't see it. I don't notice it. I don't think about it. So I have room in my brain for other things. It's relief.
0: And that's, that's really the whole point, right? Like of the fair play method. And we, we watched the documentary and I have read the book in the past, um, like in preparation for this, um, that's the point, right? Like this overwhelm, this like load of carrying all the things and not just doing the things, but the mental piece and the preparation is a lot like causing, people, women specifically, and oftentimes women who have children, even more so like to not have any space for themselves while also just like flooding themselves with cortisol and anxiety 24 seven. Right. And we work with like, specifically, we both work with really high achieving women who are doing it all, you know, across all settings, whether they work outside of the home or our home. Um, you know, they're, they're doing it all. They're used to taking it all on. And I think it hits a certain point when you maybe do have a kiddo in the mix or whatever the milestone is where it's not sustainable
2: to have humanity and do it all. No, no, it's not. And something that drives me nuts specifically about like women's, um, a lot of these, these women's group like women empowerment groups and i don't say this i don't say this critically about anybody who does this in any way this is totally a social dorm type thing but a lot of times it's like um the events are called like mommy's night out or um like look at all of the things you've done with a kid on your hip or like this language that is very like hey mama give yourself some rest or like 10 ways to be a working mom. And it's, you just don't see that. Um, You know, there's a statistic that says like women get passed up when they become a mother, it's called the maternal wall at work, they get passed up because um, the thought is that they are, their energy is going to be split. They're not going to have the time or energy to focus on work things. They can't do client dinners. They can't, you know, they're stuck at home tied to their home because they prioritize it. Of course, I'm putting air quotes around all of this. This is the thought. And meanwhile, when men have children, they get promoted because they're seen as family men. They're seen as um, dedicated and thoughtful and considerate and patient, which like, no, Mm -hmm. drives me, drives me bananas that even, like, if I am in a workplace setting, you don't need to know. I, I'm no different than a man with a child. No different. Right. I should feel empowered by my spouse at home who will take the same sick days that I would take. Yeah. But the reality is, this not the higher-ups are still um expecting different from men and women. Oh,
1: and I yeah. have found with my clients that women are taking more sick days Uh, that they they're finding if my kids daycare closes because there's a COVID outbreak i'm taking the sick day my husband can't and that some of it is systematic because they're public you know husbands are public school teachers and that's way harder and some of it's systematic because his job is more important than my job and i can move things around um and either way the burden is on them the stress is on them and they're having to rework their entire life so it's not only an assumption it becomes the norm and it does punish women even more to, to not advance because we are asking mm-hmm. them to do this over and over and over again.
0: And I think that she talks about like you've talked about in the book and in the documentary, um, like thoughts that are getting in the way, like the idea that like, Oh, his job is more important because he makes more money or whatever. And how those are thinking patterns that are actually keeping us stuck like valuing someone's time more than another person's time.
2: Yeah, protecting protecting men's time. Um and this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I'm writing, writing. Very excited. Um but I've been writing about this concept a lot which is um women are forced much like Eve says like a lot of times, uh, men's time is protected. They have hobbies that are, um, protected and committed. So sports teams Mm -hmm. going out and, and seeing friends at dedicated times, it's protected time. Meanwhile, a lot of the hobbies that women end up taking on are flexible and can be done on in the cracks. There's this, um, I got to find, I got to locate it, but there's this Audre Lorde um, essay where she talks about the woman in between her full-time cleaning job and then coming home to raise her children, writing poetry in a closet. Mm-hmm. And so many times, you know, you read these, these books, like Reese Witherspoon novels, like things like that, like memoirs, where it's like a woman who against all odds did it all and started this like was a painter or a photographer or a or a poet and that's it's it's like it truly is a lot of times having to do it, it within the cracks of being there for everybody else like their humanity is seen at, and time and energy is seen as less socially
0: totally and I think with more and more women being like the breadwinners in their family. Like this is, um, showing up in a different way where I still see like women who are the breadwinners, women, winners in their family. And you could argue like the argument of like, Oh, well his job, he makes more money or whatever kind of goes out the window, but you still see men's time being protected. And the woman's not like, I can't tell you how many of my friends are the, you know primary earners in their family and they are still the ones who have no time their husbands have you know golf twice a week or have jobs that they quote air quotes like don't have flexibility from it's um it's becoming even louder that this isn't just about the dollar amount per hour because it doesn't compute when i see it with my friends still and even if that was the case like is, I think she says it in the documentary too, um, does that mean that if someone makes more money, that hour is more valuable than like the job of holding your kid's hand at the pediatrician, like what are we valuing as a society? Again, it comes back to the humanity, I think of it all and
2: what we value. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: And I want to add on top of that, I became a new mom in January, I have a 10 month old baby, and very quickly did my thought process and I've seen clients have the same thought process and friends um that they didn't want their husbands' lives to change um in that process. And that wasn't on purpose. They weren't like going, oh I just like want to make sure they're they're happy, but that we're women are naturally caretakers. We not naturally, that's a lie. We're socialized to be caretakers. Let me correct that statement. And so we now it comes naturally and and it's it's second nature. And so when someone's struggling, we're worried about their own um happiness health whatever we go here you go and we self-sacrifice and fall on our own sword over and over again it happens constantly and when we become mothers we do that we do it for our babies in the middle of the night we do it uh, we sacrifice our own sleep we sacrifice our own hobbies but i i didn't um i didn't do it as much as some of my friends that i witnessed in the process but i please go do Monday softball. Go ahead, go do it. Sounds great. And I would be stuck with a baby who was screaming for two hours and I couldn't figure out how to uh, go to sleep. Um, and my friend uh, said to me a, a month or so ago, he my husband didn't want his life to change. And he's really proud that it didn't. He doesn't realize how much my life changed in the process so that he could keep his life the same. Like The, the, the blindness of that um, is so big and so... Um, hard to swallow. And once you're in that pattern, it's really hard to educate. I, I don't think it is actually hard to educate. It's inconvenient to educate once you're deep in the muck of it.
2: Yeah, that's, you bring up a really important um point And, and this is something that I, even to this day, like this is the hardest hurdle I have to get over is um, I think that I thought being being reliable, <clears throat> independent and like self-reliant was a real virtue of mine. I didn't need anybody for anything and I never wanted to need anybody for anything Um, and not receiving care and not letting people in. I was truly putting up a wall. Um, It's like a lack of vulnerability, but the biggest like brain store, this story I tell myself in my brain is um, I'm struggling I'm struggling. This is too much for me. And the idea of handing over some of this struggle is hurting other people Mm -hmm. because I hurt and I don't want other people to hurt like I hurt. Mm -hmm. And that is constantly this story where I'm like, but I hurt because I'm doing more than my fair share. Mm -hmm. I hurt because I'm trying to be independent. And if both of us shared equally, we could be equally empowered. I'd have more room in my brain. I could be a more vulnerable and connected person. But it's like, this is brainwashed. I'm brainwashed into thinking I have to create value and comfort for other people by holding more.
0: I mean, it starts so young, right? Like, I can remember being a a child and the social messaging of like, you need to be helping clean up in the kitchen, like family events where like my male cousins were all sitting on the couch. Like it starts really young and it's really insidious. And I I really want to talk about the blindness thing. I don't even think we have that in our questions, but it's so true, like with so much privilege, um, whether it's gender privilege, racial privilege, any kind of... um, privileged status, there is a blindness. And like, I think that's also what is so important about the fair play method is that part of the idea is making that invisible visible. So that Mm -hmm. someone else like has to come to terms with that or like see it. And if they're still choosing to not become accountable, that's a different story. But I want to talk exactly same because I do think that's a, a piece
2: of this for a lot of couples. Somehow I know um, when I first read Fair Play, I Fair Play came out in like October of 2019, and I first I got it from a library November of 2019 on audio, and I remember you know I've worked a full time job. I was the breadwinner for um, until a year ago when I left my career or changed my my career, I should say. Um, and I very distinctly remember driving home from my full-time job in the 20-minute window between my job ending and doing an unpaid labor of being a teacher after school, going to pick my kids up from daycare and then having knowing I had to cook dinner and get groceries and all this stuff. And I'm listening to Eve in her like, classic New York. Like, you know, she's like telling me in my ears, she is rattling off the 100 tasks, talking about the mental load and all of the pieces. I had tears burning on my face. I was in flames and I was like, I had no idea. I had no idea all of the things I was doing and thinking about and carrying. And it was, it was that argument I had been having for years where it's like, help me I don't know how to help me this back and forth that never solved anything and I was like this is it I'm reading the emails from the schools from the school I'm then taking that information and booking the physicals and paying attention to the ages and stages questionnaire that need to go in because I'm going to be the bad mom if I don't fill that out though now that we sit down and talk about it, my husband is the teacher contact. I don't read the emails from school. I don't. And on Sunday nights, he'll be like, uh, the the December 12th, I added it to the calendar. We have to be at school for the pageant. Mm-hmm. I don't do it. Mm-hmm. And he notices now because we went through the cards. We talk about the cards frequently. We know, we know it's out in the open. You can't say, I don't know. I can't see it because it's right there.
0: I think just as women are socialized to notice and take care of everything, like, right. That social conditioning men are, are trained to not like, I'm going to put my husband on the spot here. His mother told me one time, like, Oh, we never, we never required our boys, just three boys to do any chores. That wasn't their job. I wanted them to focus on school. And I'm like, well, this explains a lot. You know what I mean? Like my husband, I think there were some skills that, not to make excuses, I don't think he ever learned how to do. Mm-hmm. I He did it. And like, you come against this wall where it's like, well, what, what's the frustration? Or he, it looks incompetent. And I, you know, it's like, is it weaponized or is it truly incompetent? and where does that line, you know, kind of, um, you know? Yeah. And I think making the, making it more visible has been so helpful um, in our partnership because, just as I was trained to see it all, he was trained to not. And if it's constantly being taken care of for him by his mother and then by partners, me, of course he doesn't see it. Like it's not, he never had to. Right. Um,
2: and I think that's pretty common. And I'll say that was me too. Like I, I remember getting my first car and not really realizing I had to fill the tires or get, I, I didn't realize how like important it was to get an oil change or mm-hmm. up to like all of these things because and I know I grew up with my mom mostly um, but she took care of these things for me I didn't know how often to change the sheets to bleach the toilets I didn't know how to properly like clean behind the toilet with a I was like how do I get the mop back there but I did feel very responsible to learn because if someone came to my home, it was on me and I, it was expected that as part of becoming an adult, I would learn how to do these things. Meanwhile, I just saw a trending video yesterday where some guy is like, um, he's like, I don't know how to cook or clean. So how am I supposed to, I got to marry someone, I guess, Mm. Uh, like ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, it was becoming an adult, but an adult woman, if someone came to my house, it was reflective on me, and my self worth and how tidy and clean I was right men aren't socialized to worry about how tidy and clean they are or how well organized they are. Um, We were supposed to talk about our husbands a little bit at the beginning. And so Emily just hit on hers. My husband does a ton and I get invalidated all the time um, from eight years ago when we first met going, you don't have anything to complain about. Why are you mad at him? He's so wonderful. Like, Let's talk about mine for a second. And where I'm at today where that still, that comments to me all the time. He's better than most, he's so great absolutely so wonderful and he's so great because I've worked really hard at pointing out everything and advocating for change and at the beginning of our relationship I remember saying in five years I can't come in here and correct how the bathroom's clean so you're gonna learn this now and that you need to wash the mirrors because I'm not gonna do this with you like I'm not going to um and like the physical tasks are taken. So um, Emily said laundry's revolutionary that he's doing that. My husband does. He's been doing that for a long time since we were I was in graduate school. And yeah, I don't think about it. I don't do it. That's wonderful. He does the dishes and unloads them. Physical tasks are taken away, but the mental load is still there. Uh, we gotten a little tiff a few weeks ago and he said to me you sit a lot is what he said that I sit a lot and I laughed out loud because what he thinks I'm doing is scrolling mindlessly on my phone and what I'm actually doing is ordering baby clothes and making sure that we have toilet paper and paper towels and laundry detergent and you might be like pulling the paper towels from up high because I'm not tall enough and bringing them to the kitchen but I'm making sure we have them in our garage and so yes he is better than most I, there are things he's taken off my plate but the mental load isn't shared still right that's still a thing he isn't aware of and that one's a harder one to explain um, and and walk through each conceptual idea Um, he got very sheepish once I started explaining it going yeah you take the paper towels down but this is what it looks like and you could totally see his face change and the dispensiveness kind of go away um, he's a very passive guy. So he was feeling really brave for the first time in eight years. And then it went away when he, when there was another perspective, but that's the, even when there's better than most, there is still blindness there. Um, that I, I just want to highlight for our listeners that we can have someone take over laundry. That's great. And there's still quite a big burden on women. hmm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. mm-hmm.
1: I had um a couple listen or a couple of followers on Instagram ask, what if they don't believe in it? What if they just gaslight you and say, I don't believe in emotional labor? Um, at, with fair play, how does that how do we branch that conversation? How do you start educating your partner if they just aren't willing to see that perspective?
2: Um, so this is this is where fair play and my work come together um fair play is a tool of communication but you do have to have someone who is willing to do it um and a lot of times it's like I had no idea what you were dealing with let's get on the same page that is there might be some defensiveness fair but the willingness to show up in good faith that is necessary where it becomes Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use a a term that might be um might be a little uncomfortable when it is a part of a pattern and when it is um willful, it is a tool of abuse. It is a an abusive behavior. Um and that the the keys are part of a pattern and willful. Um and and maybe not like realizing their full effect but it is an abusive behavior that, um, you know, you can only, you can only hold your own boundaries. So you can work on yourself. You cannot convince somebody that your time and energy is valuable and your needs are valuable. And knowing this exists, knowing about the mental load and them not being willing to show up, you have some decisions to make about how you can keep yourself safe and cared for mm-hmm. and but- that you're going to be able to answer that yourself. I can't answer that for you.
0: Well, I think you make a really good point and it it is, it's tied in with a pattern of abuse, right? Um, To say my time, my needs are more important or I'm above doing this, but I don't believe you are
2: because mm-hmm.
0: it has to get done. Like these things have to, you know, doing the dishes, cleaning your house. Like these things have to get done to keep it safe and livable for the whole family. Someone has to do yeah, it. Yeah, And
2: there's, there's this piece that I hear a lot from men who are like, yeah, but you're doing things that don't matter. Like, I don't care if we do holiday cards. I don't care if we'd get family portraits. I don't even care if there's gifts under the tree or extracurriculars or staying in contact with teachers. None of that matters to me. If there is a big enough misalignment between what matters to you and your how you want a family to look and them, that might not be an abusive situation. You just might not be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's fair, okay? You have different values, but it's important to look at that.
1: Yeah, and, and I actually talked about that with uh, my team the other day about Christmas cards. It was like, what if they don't care about that? And I said, that might be true. And then we need to sit with like, are you doing this because it's socially expected as a woman? Do you like doing it? Do you want to share your family? Okay, sign up for that. And you might not get appreciation from your partner on that. However, let's talk about laundry, dishes, uh, grocery shopping, talking to teachers, doctor's appointments, and all the other stuff. There, There is misalignment um, in terms of like, I don't care about uh, Christmas cards, and maybe you do, or maybe you don't, and you just think you're supposed to. Let's unpack that and figure out where we're at, land on that. But there are things that have to get done that are non-negotiable, and what do we do about that value? And I think um, touching on that in terms of is it misaligned in your partnership is important. And if you're not married yet, listener, talk to your partner about this <laughs> before, before you sign up.
0: One thing, well, two things. One, there's a quote that I wrote down from the book fair play that I think speaks to this beautifully, which is if you can't trust your partner to care for your home by meeting your family's minimum standards, then you are not going to feel safe, heard or met in the relationship. Right. So whether it's outward abuse, right. Or now there's an emotional unsafety in the relationship, right. It's creating a lot of disconnect and dysfunction truly to um, not have these things working in a in a sustainable way for both people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I have so many clients. This is something I want to talk about too, which is I have um so many clients who don't want children, um and whatever choice a woman makes about wanting children not children, children, and for whatever reason, I'm on board with valid. It's a, I mean, it changes your entire life. And, um, uh, however, I I do. Hear from some of my clients that this is a big part of a big part of it is they saw that their mom had to do, and they don't want that lifestyle or they're not sure that they can find a partner who they could trust enough to maintain who they are after children and so they're just saying I'm not even going to try like not that I have had that conversation with multiple clients so I know that that is a true reason for some of them and. Man, like that speaks volumes. When I've had that conversation with multiple people who are saying, "I don't even want to opt into that."
2: Yeah, yeah, I I hear that a lot too, especially in my comment sections. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's very valid. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that you know a lot of people hear about fair play and they go, "Like, I get it. This is a really cool tool for communication." but oh my gosh, it's so much work to try to bring someone to the table for this. And I'll tell you, I get a very mixed bag, mixed reactions about like when people want to open up a conversation about this. And, and I wish that someone would have told me, um, you know, the advice when I got that I got when I was like really young and from movies and social media and all that stuff was, don't chase him away. Like, don't scare him. Don't be too like needy or like, you know, be like, Oh, I want kids. Here's what I want. What my future going to look like? Don't come on too strong. Come on strong. Like, that's my advice is like out of the gates, be like, you say you want an equal, equal partnership. What does that look like to you? How are we going to do that? What is the plan? Because if we don't have a plan, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. And I know that's really scary because we're told socially that our value increases when we have a man or they're like, you should, you know, like you're an old cat lady, old spinster. Well, nope. single childless women are the happiest demographic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If you want to have kids and it feels fulfilling to you and you find a partner. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But also you don't have to.
1: <laughs> but also you don't have to. <laughs> it's a really important piece. Um, I, when I got pregnant, I, I didn't want kids for like two years Like, oh, that's too scary. Like that seems way too serious and way too committing. I don't want to do it. And then, and then I softened up in a pandemic being like, I don't know, I'm kind of bored. Uh, and I like kids. So <laughs> <that's-> <laughs> um, and once I was pregnant, a, a wave of anxiety hit me of like, I signed up for the worst job in the world. I just sh- signed up for the worst job. And I couldn't get out of it. I remember feeling like somebody was holding my lower back and pushing me forward. And all I wanted to do was like walk backwards and I couldn't. And so as a therapist and as a very verbal processor, I just started kind of throwing that up to people. I just said like, this is the worst job. Oh my gosh. I have all these women clients who are just unhappy as moms and, and can't and want to prioritize their career and they can't and da da da. da. So I just was like throwing it up all the time. And what ended up happening was because I named it so often postpartum, my family my husband rallied around me my friends to save to protect me and i'm Mm i'm hyper independent i'm not vulnerable i don't like sharing um what's going on and i can handle it That's just that's where i want to be and because i was so anxious i did people rallied over and over and over again um, in bringing me meals taking me on walks when i was hormonal and just crying calling me and just double checking on me and i i find that my clients who are pregnant Uh, are really scared to name that stuff they don't want to be seen as a bad mom they don't want to be judged they don't want to be they're worried that if they change their mind that it's not the worst job that they were committed to this other statement or uh, they were shamed in this other statement and they can't rediscover who they're going to be and so I want listeners to hear naming fears mm-hmm. your unhappiness what's going on with you right now people can meet you and i was surprisingly shocked i did not expect people to rally around me i was just scared and what happened was people heard and they wanted to show up really really well for me um which i'm the helper in my family nobody helps me i'm the helper so it was it was a very exciting uh surprising uh, nine, uh ten months now of just like people checking in on me that has never happened in my life before
2: yeah, great point.
1: Okay. Um do we want to go through the steps, Emily, of the the fair play rules?
0: Yeah, can we just I mean, I want to be mindful of time, but could you just give us like a brief summary of what the rules of fair play are if people are thinking about exploring that,
2: um what can they kind of expect? Um okay, so Fair play. I'm going to read the four rules from from the book. Um, that all number one, all time is created equal. So uh as we talked about with protected time, all time is created equal. Um, reclaim your right to be interesting. So prioritize your not just hobbies, not just taking a long shower, but true passion and joy and fulfillment time where you are not a parent, professional, or partner um, start where you are. A lot of times people get fair play and then they're like, I want 50, 50. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not realistic and it's not helpful. So start where you are and start making small changes. If you know, you're in it for the long run, Mm -hmm. um, and establish your values and standards. That's, you know, the biggest advice that I wish I would have known was that I'm allowed to have standards and, and values. And they're very important in how I want to build my life. Tell your story as to why, you know, why, why do I want my t-shirts folded a certain way? Because I wear a lot of graphic tees and I want to be able to see what's on them. Mm-hmm. And when I explain that to the people in my life who love me, they were like, great, that's cool. Thank you for telling me why. <laughs> so, so talk about it. Um, but the, yeah. the biggest part is communication. You can't, you can't under communicate, over communicate, keep communicating.
0: I say that all the time to clients. I'm like, you can never
2: communicate too much. Like I don't, I don't think you can.
0: So- what I love that. Yeah. You- I
2: said that backward. <laughs> you can't <laughs> over communicate, keep doing it.
1: Yeah. What I love what you've said in the documentary about communication is uh, you shouldn't come down from putting your kids to bed and go, da, 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 da. here it is. If you're heightened and emotional wait a hot beat and come back and circle back to it i find my friends and women clients then don't want to ruin the night uh by bringing Mm -hmm. up hard and emotional but doing it emotional can only lead to defensiveness and overreaction so coming in and the phrase i give my clients all the time is like this is going to be uh an an awkward conversation and kind of a bummer and I, I just we have to talk about it anyway so that we warn our partner I don't really want to do this either and this is the way we got it we got to do this because we're in a partnership together and lay out whatever we're trying to communicate but doing it emotional is it's like liquid courage so glad you got it out but it is unproductive and never works and so you have to do it when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable for both of you unfortunately sorry listeners <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think, like, getting comfortable having uncomfortable conversations I mean I say this to also to clients all the time which is like short-term discomfort for the long-term gain is worth it right because right now what you're doing is probably not comfortable if you're you know, experiencing inequity in your partnership and it's going to lead to resentment and this leads to divorce for people. Like if you want this relationship to be successful, there's also a piece of owning that and and putting in one's, you know, fair share of communication to make that happen.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a wedge that will drive you nuts. And, um, Yeah. It's if you don't address it, it is just defaulting to like, if you you don't ask for what you need, you're defaulting to a no, you're, you're sacrificing yourself. Um, And yeah, it leads to parallel lives within the same partnership, divorce, resentment, anger, instead of putting your energy there, why not put it up front to prevention? Yeah, we
0: want a happy, healthy, Relationship, functioning, home. I mean, kids need if if you are choosing to have children in your mix, like kids need happy parents, right? And this this is part of that.
1: Spouses need happy spouses. Yes.
0: Happy Absolutely. And Please. we want women to real be able to realize their full potential. Like I said, we work with a lot of you know high achieving women in our practices and we speak to them on, on our podcasts. And there's a quote from uh, the documentary, Eve Rodsky says for women to step into their full power in the world, men need to step into their full power in the home.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. it's true.
1: Laura, we always ask, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't asked or shared, uh, um, said yet today?
2: I, I think that... My last note is that you deserve to have standards. You deserve to have, yeah, your needs met. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes. Yes. Um, so you can find me online, Instagram, and TikTok at that darn chat. You can also find me on my website, thatdarnchat.com. Um I do, as you mentioned, I do coaching, I do workshops, um, and sometimes I have like downloadable resources and things like that. Um, but shoot me an email and we can connect and yeah. Thank you. Thank
0: you so much. This was incredibly helpful. And I know our listeners are thinking about this stuff and yeah, we just really appreciate you coming on and spending the hour with
2: us. Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you. This has been Emotionally Unfucked.
0: Hey guys, it's Emily
1: and Stassi and we're so excited back by popular demand. We had so many questions in Fluxus after our last podcast interview that we wanted to bring Laura Danger back on to answer a few of your questions.
0: Um, So she was really helpful in answering some specific listener questions. So after any of our podcasts, if you guys have questions, please do jump on, send us a DM, um, send us a message. Like we want to hear from you. We want to answer your questions.
1: If this is helpful, please give us a review, share with your friends. We're so, so proud of these guests for coming on. We're so lucky to have them. So thank you for listening and enjoy these questions.
0: And thank you so much, Laura Danger.